there's a certain feeling whenever you walk into a room, regardless, when you're one of maybe two or three women in a room of 50 men. That doesn't mean that I don't like all of the men there. It just means that it's upsetting when out in the world we're 50-50 and then in certain powerful positions of wealth and influence, I have to like fight for my three people into the room, which I'm not doing anymore. I'm just gonna go create my own room. And then if you wanna join, you're gonna have to ask me. Hello friends, it's Amy Calandrino and here we are with another episode of the Performance Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Calandrino, and after over a decade of advising some of the top entrepreneurs and business owners, I wanted to connect you to some of the leaders and impactful individuals I've met along the way. If you're wanting to grow, you are tuning into the right show. So today with me, I have, and I'm going to look at the bio to make sure I do not miss anything. (laughs) I have on Sydney Phillips. She's actually a fellow power beacon, which we will get into later, but serial entrepreneur, inventor, and philanthropist on a mission to push humanity forward and live interestingly. She's an eccentric futurist and an amateur race car driver. She's gained recognition among the top 100 women of the future, top 25 women in the metaverse, 25 most influential women in commercial real estate, top 100 U.S. business leaders and with people in real estate and named 2020 Young Female Entrepreneur of the Year. In the words of Ron Burgundy, you're kind of a big deal. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much. I'm so happy to be on here with you. I know we've connected through Power Begins on and off and uh, yep. of course at Beth Azor's conference, but this is my yep. first time like sitting one-on-one with you. So this is wonderful. This is wonderful. We've talked about making it happen. I guess it took like a podcast recording to to make it happen. So it takes work for workaholics to make time for each other. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What stood out to me like right off the bat, though, in your bio is talking about eccentric. I was talking to someone the other day and I've decided to let my kookiness like mm-hmm. be more like out there. And in the, in the words of one of my clients, he says, Amy, you're crazy, but you're like the good crazy. And I love that you like put that out there. So, yeah. you know, like, let's kind of like start first and foremost, like, let's talk a little bit more about your background yeah. and all of that. And, you know, how you've gotten to kind of where you're at today. Yeah. I'm a 24 year old serial entrepreneur. So I started, well, I'll even go further than that. I'm a third generation entrepreneur. So my whole family is entrepreneurs. I didn't realize until I started going to holidays and dinners with boyfriends, parents that other people didn't talk about their revenue or profit at the dinner table. So that was kind of my rude awakening of like, oh no, other people don't talk about money. Like not like (laughs) your family. (laughs) So I grew up around so much entrepreneurship that to me, it just came so naturally. And it was never even a question of if I would start a business, it was just how many. So That kind of sets the scene. I took over and ran the family business with my grandfather at the age of 14. And I've been running it ever since then. And then I've built numerous companies on my own as well. I've done everything from tech to financial companies. I did Daring Greatly, which was an investment vehicle to invest into women, LGBTQ and minority-led startups. That company got me into the startup world. And then I got into tech And just became kind of like you said, the eccentric futurist. And I was like, this is where the world is headed. And I want to be one of the ones to create it. Um, It's not enough to just live it and be one of the ones that adopt it to me. I just feel like this internal just passion and calling to be able to create all of these weird kooky things that we'll look at in 50 years and be like, how did they not have this? Like we do with cell phones. (laughs) So I'm very passionate about the tech. Of course, the commercial real estate is just like a family business comes so naturally to me and I really enjoy it, but I like the excitement of the tech. So you like to, I like to merge those two together. That's just so interesting. And when we first started to get each, get to know each other through the power beacons, I just, your energy and like enthusiasm and everything like so contagious. And like, I'm so excited that we're talking today. I mean, 
for for me, I think once you ca- catch the entrepreneur bug, oh. it's like hard not to then do that. I my husband's parents were both entrepreneurs. <laughs> And so then when he decided to go to law school and he graduated, he just decided he couldn't work for anyone else. And then like immediately upon graduating from law school, started his business, like to (laughs) help smart businesses at his law firm. And then I worked for him, watching him transform the lives of these entrepreneurs because he had more of like a holistic kind of practice to kind of take them from startup to growth. And then that's what I modeled my commercial real estate firm because I noticed that with small business owners, commercial real estate is such a tremendous oh. tool for for those families and those that created the most wealth. Mm-hmm. It all had to do with commercial real estate. You're totally it's, right. Mm-hmm. It's I would sit there at a business closing table, like passing papers, like as the paralegal. Mm-hmm. And those that really had done the most for their business had started to pay rent to themselves and then maybe even start portfolios. Like I just really started to notice. And I also noticed if you made the wrong commercial real estate decisions, how devastating that could also be to a family. And I just didn't feel like in my particular market at the time that there were advisors that really focused on that. And so I just, I just love what what you're doing. So so 14 years yeah. At 14 years old, you started working on pro formas or what what, oh. what was like your first things? Were you out on showings well, or we were buying everything? Like we were, I was buying, going through yeah. the whole process of finding them, doing the due diligence of them, going <laughs> through with inspectors. I remember there was one where my grandfather was like, I am caught up. I'm going to need you to meet the inspector and like go to the, the showroom. I think I was 15 at this time. And I would, had a car and they were like, it was one of those like permits where you can only drive yourself. You can't drive other people. And the broker, we were meeting the broker there and he was like, he called me and was like, Hey, can we carpool? Can you pick me up real fast? And I go, actually, I only have a permit and I can't drive other people. So we're going to have to meet there. So I have to meet the broker at the site to go inspect the property. I mean, it was, it was insane. I was involved in all of it. There's Binders, we laugh because every time that we buy a property, we put together a binder. And it has, you know, of course, the lease summary and the leases and all of the paperwork and any banknotes and whatever else. So we put together these binders. And probably a year or two ago, we were going through and, you know, getting rid of old tax records more than, you know, seven years and whatever else. We were cleaning out the books, right? And we're going through, and I find a couple of binders that I had made when I was like nine or 10. And all of them are like my hand, like, like my literally my elementary school handwriting on the side of the binder. That's like Phillips and Associates LLC. Like I, it was precious. It was precious. So I grew up in this family where, I mean, I was very involved in the business even before 14. So that's the only reason why I was able to pick it up then. Otherwise I don't, I don't think anybody would have been ready for that kind of responsibility. It was a lot. What is interesting is on the way home from picking up my kids from daycare yesterday, I'm getting a huge, there's an area to the north of Orlando called Winter Park. Yes. So most people, if they come to Orlando, there's Park Avenue and Winter Park is like amazing. And I'm really starting to catch some traction like mm-hmm. in Winter Park. So we have a couple of my signs we go by on the way home yes. and my I told my son, I'm like, we're about to have one more sign. There'll be three signs. He's like, well, I want six signs on yes. the way home. And I'm like, what? And he's three years old. And I said, well, why don't you tell the world that mommy needs some more property? So I just posted on Instagram and he said, get my mom some more properties. I want to see my mama's logo. And he's like three. And then when we bought our buildings last year and we 1031. And so I was pregnant with my first baby when we bought our first, first building for like our as for our family. So like, I'm probably where your family was like two generations ago when mm-hmm. your grandfather did it. So like, I'm just starting to do this. And his parents, his parents, I think that's one of the things they regret as an entrepreneur really? is they didn't have the foresight to know to do that. But their families had just come to America. Yeah. So I think once you know that, I think part of my mission, though, is too to make sure everybody knows that. Like mm-hmm. when I work with these business owners, maybe it doesn't make sense for them to buy now, but at least educating them so they can work towards that. Because yeah. I think your family has been able to grow probably exponentially because of having 
the security of that commercial real estate as like your foundation to kind of catapult into all the other things. Well, and it it's such a big industry that to me, it opens up your, it opens yourself up to so many different opportunities, which I took in the route of tech. Like mm-hmm. I was able to look at commercial real estate, be in this industry so young and see everything moving and all of these moving parts and go, that's inefficient. That's inefficient. That's inefficient. I think I can go build tech companies for that. And then I can use the money that I generate from the tech companies to go buy more commercial real estate, Yeah, which was kind of my, my strategy all along. So I, I love all of the industries, to be honest, the tech is just so exciting to me. So i like to bring it into the real estate and yeah, I mean, entrepreneurs to even start your own business. Most people like when I talk about entrepreneurship and starting multiple companies and whatever else, there's always somebody in the room that wants to do that. And even getting to a point where you do that is enough of a huge hurdle that then to go and have the foresight to be like, I need to acquire the commercial real estate property so that in three generations, my grandkids will have this X many properties and make this amount. I mean, That is an insane amount to expect from anyone, first of all. To even start a company, in my opinion, to be like the first generation of people that do that is, I mean, just incredible. I look at my grandfather and he's like my hero, you know? Oh, I'm reading the new Arnold Schwarzenegger book called Be Useful. And you're just saying something that kind of hit me is that like then being able to visualize the impact that might happen but for me is I can, I can see it, especially when I talk to people like you in, in other people that are part of receiving the benefit of being part of that generational wealth. Mm-hmm. I can see it. Actually, I just like, I feel it. Right. Yeah. And one of the things Arnold talked about in his book is that he felt like what differentiated him is he could visualize himself winning. Yep. Like the Mr. Olympia. Oh, like yeah. he would visualize him sitting behind the governor's desk. Mm-hmm. And like, for me, I visualize that we will like amass a bigger portfolio, mm-hmm. like slowly will time. Like I know whether it's corporate owner, franchise owned, like I want to have my, my brokerage grow bigger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that my kids, if they want to go to college, that's great but maybe, or, or they do it, but then they could go get a job or perhaps there's a place in the family business. So yeah. like, I think for me, I can kind of visualize it's hard, like it's hard to do. Yeah. But like, I think once you really start to set it in motion that it becomes like nat- natural and you got that confidence and also not having the fear. I think that lines on, on my, the theme of my podcast is like having that like confidence and not being fearful too, if it doesn't, work. You probably have had some business sense that you've had some lessons along the way, maybe. Yeah. I've had plenty of failures. I I I don't like to call them failures. I like to call them lessons. Yeah. I love, (laughs) I just call, I call them failures because to everyone else they are. But to me, like those are actually the ones that I guess I don't judge a company or an idea based on the outcome of it because I'm at a point Mm. where to me, like, I'm just so grateful that the idea chose me. Like, I truly do feel like entrepreneurship, so much of it is like this idea or this company was going to exist whether it was me or not. Like my ideas are Uh not really that special and that's incredibly humbling, but then it just feels so much more special when the idea chooses you and you're the like host that gets to bring this thing to life and like give birth to this idea. Mm. And then sometimes other people want to be a part of it and it just, it's a high and like, like I always say my favorite drug is an LLC. Like that is the only drug I'll ever do because it's it's so addicting. And yeah, I, I just think that it's magic. It's magic when it when it chooses you. I'm I'm the creator too. Like I don't love the end of the process of the companies. Like I love when it's the pure chaos in the beginning and you're like, who is this going to be for? What is the problem? What are we even going to build? Like, I love the uncertainty of the very beginning of a business. Like the first year and a half of any startup is my favorite time. And it's the time where I flourish the most. Like if I look in pictures, it's the time where I look the happiest and the healthiest because I'm, everything in my life is so uncertain and I'm so excited about all of it. Um, And when Mm. it becomes a machine is when I get bored and then I have to go start something else. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's interesting but it's the 
creation of it that is just so, it's so beautiful. It just, every single one of them transforms me in a different way. I had one, I know we're talking about failures. I had one um, that was called Cool Kennel. And it was cool, like with a K and then kennel. Mm -hmm. And you put it inside of your car and it would, you could leave your dog inside of this little kennel in your car and it would air condition them so that they wouldn't, you know, die from a heat stroke inside of your car. And you could like leave them and go into the grocery store, whatever else. Well, then there was all kinds of regulatory problems. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get sued if a dog dies in this. Like, what's going to happen? So then that one never, never happened. But I still, I so enjoyed going to the 3D printing lab and like printing out the different parts and gluing them together and putting it into friends' cars and being like, does this work? I mean, there's just so much joy in that. And like the uncertainty and the creating of it all, even if it doesn't actually come to life, they they help you see different parts of yourself and they help you also understand what you're good at and what you're not. Like I know for sure that I'm not a manufacturing girl. I could probably not do like a physical product unless I had another co-founder that could handle like the distribution, the manufacturing, like all of that. Mm. But the details involved in that, I am the visionary, the creator, like I'm like 85% good is good enough. And that doesn't exactly work with distribution. Like 85% good <laughs> is good enough. Does it work to get it to point A to B? So I know my limits as well. Yeah. I'm interested. How many domains do you own? <laughs> because I have to assume that you're like me, that you think of an idea and you're like, I got this name and then get the name. And then... You kind of marinate on it. I have like a couple domains. Some are six letters long. Oh. Ooh, from many moons ago, I still haven't done anything with. Yeah, uh, two different three-word, three-letter names, believe it or not. I can't say because I still haven't done anything with this product. But yeah, told a couple close people like, Amy, that you just got to do that. Wait. It's actually dog-related. But then like I don't necessarily like form an LLC, like, but more, more so this is like an evening thing. And like I hit it. I mean, I have a whole whiteboard over there that yeah. has like all like more ideas too. Yeah. Do you know how many domains you have? I would guess total like in the 20s. Like it's probably like 25 okay. or 28. Mm-hmm. And I am someone that I do the domain and the LLC. So I'll just go ahead and pay the $110. Oh, you do both of them at the same time. Yep. Okay. I'll just go ahead and pay the $110. And then I have a rule that if I haven't done anything with it in a year, then it closes. And I don't count those as like, I don't count those as like companies that I've started. Those are just like, I had an idea, but it wasn't quite there yet. Well, maybe I'm hard to like let it go. Like I still have this one that I still think I might do something with it like eventually, but interesting. I've yeah, had no. to just start- I have time limits and I also have financial like financial restraints on how much I'm willing to put into something before it makes me mm-hmm. money. So, I have a rule that I have to be able to make a minimum viable product and at least show somebody what I'm selling so that they can tell me if it's a good idea or a bad idea with $5,000 and I have to be able to make some kind of dollar and it's not break even, nothing, but I have to make some kind of profit after 10,000 or it's done. The idea scrapped. Oh, I wonder though too, is if you did, so- if you were someone like me and, and bought some really good domains and have a good idea, whenever you could just sell the idea, even if it's not a business. Yeah, you can. It's called. I have a friend that did that. Like she bought this company man chore. Yeah. She bought the domain and then she thought up the whole idea, the whole business plan. And nice. then she just sold it to someone because she decided she didn't have enough time to do it. Yep. On Maybe Acquire, I should do that. Uh, let me tell you on acquire.com, you can do that. You can have the domain, you can create oh. a little business plan and then just say we have zero for, with zero revenue and you can sell it on acquire.com. It gets bought all the time. I actually Are you searched, kidding me? Yeah, I searched that site for good ideas. I'm like, oh, that one's cool. I think I could do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you just uh, look at look at that. I yeah. learn something new every day. Acquire.com. Yeah. And they do big and small. So they do everything from like a you know $1,000 acquisition to $5 million acquisition. They, they do big. Yeah, but it might make sense to stop paying the re- registration fees and yeah. move on. And because this would be like a product that I would have to put together and manufacture and I'd have to bring in someone else and yep. blah, blah, blah. And I'm more, I think my mind is just much more like commercial real estate, like service. Yeah. I did start a production company this year because oh, I wanted nice. to shoot a TV show pilot. Nice. About commercial real estate investing and entrepreneurship. So. Love it. Yeah, I'm excited. 
But let's talk about, so let's circle around to the power beacons and then women entrepreneurship. I'll let you kind of like start out with what you would want to chat about first. Yeah, I'm so passionate about women's entrepreneurship because I truly believe that when we have access to our own wealth, I think that so many women get into positions where, you know, they're married, they might have kids, they get stuck into jobs and marriages that are unfulfilling and can't leave. There's so many that can't leave. And there's so many that don't have the freedom to leave once they have children as well. And so, you know, everybody, not that that decision is a wrong decision, like to have kids or get married, that's a very normal decision. But I do think we need to have wealth on our own and we need to have our own bank accounts to where we have access and freedom in a way that we have not been allowed to have for generations and decades. My grandmother loves to tell me the story about how whenever she got married, she was not allowed to have a bank account. She literally couldn't have her own bank account. And she has drilled it into my head as as young as I was, as far as I can remember, always have your own money, your own bank account. Yeah. Um, and make sure that you're good on your own and have your own means. And she talks to me all the time about, and this is not a long time ago. Like, I think that's what we don't realize where I'm like, no, my living grandmother had this exact experience where she couldn't be anything other than a nurse, secretary, or teacher, and wasn't allowed to have a bank account in the 1950s. I mean, that is insane Uh, to me. It's just wild. And so I think, first of all, we need to take advantage of, of the things that we have won and that we've got so that we don't lose them. And second of all, I would like to see women have more wealth and have more opportunities to be at the tables that we've been shut out of for so long. And I think that my approach is a little different than, and not that this approach is wrong, but my approach is not to fight my way to their good old boys table. My approach is to build a new table and have it be so big and powerful that they ask to join ours. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not interested in like waiting to be asked if I want a seat. I'm just going to go build my own table. Well, it's interesting. I have noticed that there are some women that say women entrepreneurship, women entrepreneurship, but then I figured out that really they're not like a girl's girl. They're, they're, they are getting successful still by like supporting like the old regime and the good old boys and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And it kind of becomes like in parent, apparent that when things get tough, they're not really willing to stick their neck out fully and be fully a girl's girl. And I think that's kind of what differentiates the power beacons. And part of like what being part of the power beacons is, is be willing to stand up and be really, really, really a girl's girl, not like secretly still in with the old guard. But I still think that there are some great guys. Like we have some allies out there like Eddie Gonzalez that have let like Dina Zimmerman and I Mm -hmm. like be on his channel talking about challenging issues that women deal with in entrepreneurship and commercial. So I think there are some, but those that are like, secretly not like a girl's girl and then you find out then you're like yep oh no I totally get it and I do think to your point I do think there are some men in this industry that have supported me and listened to me and like fed me deals and been really great champions but there is a certain there's a certain feeling whenever you walk into a room regardless when you're one of maybe two or three women in a room of 50 men there's a certain feeling yeah. associated with that. And that doesn't that doesn't mean that I don't like all of the men there. Um, it just means that it's upsetting when out in the world we're 50-50 and then in certain powerful positions of wealth and influence, I have to like fight for my three people into the room, um, which I'm not doing anymore. I'm just going to go create my own room. And then if you want to join, you're going to have to ask me. You know what's so – so this weekend, I have a set of dictionaries that – it's like a six-volume dictionary set, and they're all, like, animated and all kinds of stuff. And they're from, like, 1961, before JFK passed away. And so it says, you know, JFK is still president, and so it says this year to – like, it's still open. He's still – So we were going through and I grabbed the one that was like CH to FI or whatever. And we're going through different words and I'm showing them. There was conference was defined and it had a picture 
And it was a bunch of white guys sitting around the table. And I wish I had this right now to go like, oh. And I was like, and it says like when, when a lot of people, and they might as well say old white guys get together to talk about like ideas. Yeah. And, and it was just so, and you know, I have to do a beyond your space needs or like video blog about it and show yes. this picture. Cause it was like, we would kill our mojo if I went to go get it like right now. So it's not going to happen. Yeah. I'll just save it for another piece of content. But it was just like, I brought it to my husband and he's like, Oh my gosh. And so, in, you know, thinking about champions though, too, is like his dad was in business for himself. And then his mom, when my husband was seven, decided she wanted to buy her first franchise. Love and it. eventually she didn't buy franchises anymore, but he was always so supportive of them. And like, so we have to give like props to like the, yeah. the champions that mm-hmm. like, don't try to like push you down and let you do. Cause like, if not for her, when I first started work, you know, dating my husband and stuff, I would spend like the Saturdays in her flower shop and she would teach me all about cost of goods and like all these things Amazing. about like being like a businesswoman. But oh, um, I love yeah. that. Oh, that's oh. so sweet. See, but I love what your gram. That's go the- ahead. That's the kind of mentorship that I just feel like, I feel like the pandemic actually kind of took some of that mentorship away from us because we weren't able to see people in person as much to like make those connections and say, okay, I bought this building for X amount of money. This is how much I'm making off of it. This is how much my debt costs. We didn't get the opportunity to do that, which is why Beth's conference was so important to me to go there, to speak about my experience. And it's also why the power of Binkins are so important to me to, so that we have some kind of level of transparency of like, here's what's going on. Here's how we're all building. And by the way, everybody's building differently. Take the best of what you like from every person and then mix it into your own bowl. I think that's that's one of the things that I say all the time. I, I've brought on a lot of like college graduate or college level interns and I do like this mentorship program. So I'll mentor them for three Mm. months and we'll talk about like pay negotiation, like salaries, how much you should be paid, how to find like right leaders. So like if the leader is leaving to go pick up their kids every day, that's going to be a great culture fit because they're going to actually leave the office. So I Mm. tell them all the time, I'm like, actually, it's not a super great idea to work for a 20 year old like startup founder, Mm. because we have to prove ourselves and we're going to work constantly. So if you want great work-life balance and don't want to like work crazy hours, work for like a 40 or 50 year old because they have more balance and they've kind of figured out their structure more. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I, I, but I've gotten to do all of this, this mentoring. And honestly, every time that I do one, they're, they're like, you have no idea how hard it was for me to find mentor. Like you have no idea how hard it is to find somebody Mm. that will take me in, teach me a little bit because now we all like work on our homes or work from home. And then we don't really go out and except to see the people that we already know, which makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I've been kind of getting involved with that Kendra Scott Women's Entrepreneurship Institute here in Texas. Oh, Yeah. It's through UT, University of Texas and Austin. And they've got a wonderful women's entrepreneurship institute here. And so I've been bringing in some of those girls and teaching them pay negotiation, biz- like how to put together performa, things like that. And it's been pretty game changing. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Like I didn't even know that that existed. I know like uh, Kendra Scott has a lot of different like locations throughout the U.S. and everything, but yeah. I didn't know that they had she had given like back. And I and that's I think the big thing too. I find that the most successful entrepreneurs that mm-hmm. get the most traction, it, it really is um, as the Lee Becker who lives in Austin as well, mm-hmm. like you is like givers get and like, mm-hmm. I, and I think there's a balance too because like yeah. obviously like I've learned that I have like five F's. I used to say it's three F's. It used yeah. to be faith, family, fitness. Now it's faith, family, fitness, finance, and focus. Oh, interesting. Oh. I like the addition. Finance and focus. I like it. Well, I had, I had a really good friend. He's like, Amy, you're just always like, because I have so much like energy. And yeah. like, he's like, Amy, when you focus, you're dangerous. Yes. And I'm like, you're right. So actually, I made myself a bracelet that says <gasps> focus ninja. I love it. So I wear a focus ninja and I'm like, I got to focus. Oh my gosh. I love it. I have little um, bracelets that are not on today, but mine are push humanity forward and live interestingly. And I wear them literally every day. Mm-hmm. What? Uh-huh. Oh, I think that's awesome. <laughs> oh. 
There were a couple other like thoughts of what we've already covered so far too. Is like you were talking about your grandmother and um, on one of my previous podcast guests uh, was Leslie Heimer and her grandmother was one of the first mortgage bankers ever. Oh no, was the first mortgage banker in Orlando. Grandmother, first mortgage banker. And now like she, Leslie Heimer's mom and her grandma were like in mortgages and now Leslie's in mortgages. And like, not only like you sometimes meet these mortgage people and they're just like, they don't really know what like they're selling, but only they have that in commercial real estate too. Yeah. I was like, um, that's also a lot of brokers. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of brokers. Not me. Leslie and I, we, we were really geeking out, um, on my podcast when I had it, but I thought it was interesting. She talked about her grandmother, how men could go into the bank and sign their wives to the mortgages. Did you know that? Yep. I didn't know that. Oh, the financial power that women have had in the last like three to four decades is insurmountable to like, we can't even imagine what our grandmothers had to face financially. And it's not that long ago. They're still living. Yeah. It's not that long ago. Just happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, I'm going to make sure my show notes lady like puts in Beth Azor's conference and so yes. that's B-E-T-H-A-Z-O-R yeah. and if you look her up she has her women's conference so we should make sure to put a link of that into the show notes so we can support them but yeah I think it's it it is it is really interesting oh and we were talking about women having their own bank account and having their own autonomy one of the books I read was like I know how she does it And it talks about when a woman crosses the path to being, you know, married with children and, you know, all those different things of how to still maintain your own like autonomy and find one of the systems I deploy from that book is called like a split schedule Yep. and like learning how to then, you know, pick up my kids and have this split schedule and still like track my time and keep track Mm -hmm. of my priorities. But one of the reasons they said too, is like why you want to maintain that autonomy is not just because you you know, there's a a potential of getting divorced. Like statistically, you know, it's like 50%, right? Right. But beyond that too, like anything could happen to your spouse is like, you know, you know, there could be potential like illness or whatever. And what I found is that, you know, if you don't keep that momentum going in your career, even if it's like a part-time side hustle, Mm -hmm. whatever that you could like expand upon, you're just starting back over from like square one. And that's, that's a scary spot to be in as a woman. Well, and even further than that, like, I know we're speaking about it from the woman's perspective, but also from a man's perspective, I don't think that it would be super fulfilling to be the one that has to make all the money. And then she has to take care of all the kids. That's still like you would kind of feel a little used. Like, I don't think that this traditional arrangement works for anybody. I don't think the arrangement of the, you know, man goes and makes the money and the woman takes care of the house. She like, what happens if he passes away? What happens if, you know, she can't balance a checkbook? Like she doesn't have the autonomy of her money. We, we know that side, but then also like, why, why does he not get to have any fun? Why does he not like, why does he not get to like be around the kids? Like, don't you think he's probably going to regret that whenever he's older, you know? And like, what if, right. you know, one of the children pass away? Like, I think he's going to regret not being there and being around for dinner and to play ball and whatever else. Right. So I think it's, I don't think that the arrangement works for anybody. I think it, it's what I'm saying is it's better for everyone when everyone has their own autonomy of their life and their money. Yeah. And then you decide to either co-mingle and be together and live together or not. Yeah. Well, me and my husband, we've decided for ourselves, we're much like his parents, where we really have like a partnership and we call it kind of basically Calendrino Inc. And we have like our holding company for our commercial real estate. He has his law firm. I have my commercial real estate firm. We will soon, and you're going to talk about your foundation, but we'll have a foundation about democratizing the wealth gap and Mm -hmm. helping to spur investment and entrepreneurship, like in our community, Orlando, like in Mm -hmm. beyond but we view it kind of like as a, as a, as a partnership. I do manage like all of the money mm-hmm. and, but I give, like, I show him where we're at and how yeah. we're doing. And then how I work it is like, yes, I do a lot of deals. Three, I do a lot of third party work. You, your, your family business probably does all just for yourselves. Yep. Or do you guys do third party too? No, just us. 
just yourself. Yeah. I do a ton of third party work. And so I'm like three to four dozen deals a year, but like somehow, despite that, like I put all my most important appointments on my schedule between 10 and two. Oh, I love because that. anything, anything can happen with my kids. Yep. And I don't really want to worry about trying to cover a whole day of appointments if yes. something happens with them. And so I want to have the flexibility. Now, as I get like a couple days out and something pops up, I will always have the opportunity to plug in like a nine or a three. Yep. And that's why sometimes it takes like a long time to get on my schedule because yep. until it's like game day yep. or like 24 hours away and everything's good, I will never add like a nine or a three on there. And I don't ever really do anything after like a three o'clock yeah. because I want to leave myself flexibility to go pick my kids. Good. But I get it all done between 10 and three and then at ma- 10, 10 and two, and then it makes sure that I'm only prioritizing what's most important. This is exactly why women in their 40s and 50s are better to work for if you want <laughs> if you want balance. This is exactly why. This is exactly like point blank. This is like picture Amy. In yeah. <laughs> I have a similar thing, except I don't take meetings yeah. before noon because morning is my best time. So I'm yeah. a 6 a.m.er. I'm a morning person. So I'm a 6 a.m.er. That's my exercise time from like 6 to 7. And then from 7 to 12, I love that no, like I don't answer any phone calls. Like nobody call me. Nobody talk to me. That is my like deep thought time. And then from noon mm. to like four is when I'm like normally accessible. Oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. My assistant can't wait until it's 10 because <laughs> actually I'm like the opposite. We have like an 8.30 a.m. call like every morning to kind of go over everything and for me to like pass the baton and then her talk back to me yep. about what she needs. But then usually that will spur other things. So we'll be like on and off the phone in between like things until about until about 10 and then then she'll have peace and quiet to get all her work done. I'm a morning person. And then in the afternoon, my deep focus kind of goes away. And then I can have more of like the meetings and the conversations and whatever else. And then I normally will like make a little list and I'm ready for my deep concentration the next day. That's kind of how I like to set it up. Yeah. But see, but I think everybody's different. You have to go with your flow. Yes. I think that that building these systems is what, is so magic about it, right? Like if you have a couple, if you have a company even building a system like this where you're like, okay, my best time is morning. So I should block that out for me. And then I should give everyone else my 12 to four. Yeah. And that just makes so much more sense to me where somebody else is probably like, do not talk to me in the morning. I will, or yeah, someone else is probably like, oh, only talk to me in the morning. And then after like two, I probably come out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And yeah, I usually will try it. I work out at like three. I've just, it's just too much. My kids are erratic on when they wake up. And so I tried the whole getting to the gym at like 530 thing. Do you have little ones? And then by the time I'd get home, a two and a three-year-old. Oh, you have little ones, Amy. Oh my gosh. And back to back like that? Woo. They're like, well, one's about to be four and one's two and a half. They're like 15 months apart. Oh my so gosh. like my son was like nine months old when I got pregnant with number two. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> well, I can't even imagine the amount of chaos going on in your house. Yeah. No. No, we, we have systems. Oof. I just don't have systems. I applaud you. So. That is some that I mean, is it some is chaotic a little management. bit, but but we uh-huh. we slipped sleep trained our kids. I mean, oh, they're pretty oh much God. in bed at like 7 30, 8 o'clock every night. And then they are good until like about 6.30 every morning. But it happened to be like every time I'd go to the gym, like if I tried to go in the morning, that would be the one morning they decided to get up at 6. So then I finally was just like, I'm not even going to like bother. And then instead I'll work out at like 3 and then go get them at like 5. Of course. Of so. course. It's always the morning that you're like, and today is the day I'm going to do something for myself. And it's like, nope, you thought. Thought wrong. Yeah. 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 My mother is very excited that all of us are grown and we're all like (laughs) in our teenage years or in our 20s on my mom's side. She's very excited that we're all grown. She's like, please. Yeah. Little ones. How many siblings do you have? So I'm an only child on my dad's side of the family, which is where like all of the family business kind of comes from. Yeah. And then I am one. I'm the oldest of six half and step siblings on my mother's side. So I have big wow. family on this side, and then I have like barely any family on this side. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
I love Smoke kids. World. I love kids. I've I take sometimes my friends' kids. I've had like as many as four kids in my house. I, I love I love being like Auntie Amy. Like well, I, I don't know like what it is. It doesn't kid. chill me out. It, what's that? You're also like a big kid though, so that totally makes sense to me because you're like, yes, let's play. That makes sense. To me. Let's go to the science center. Let's yes. go to like Universal. Let's go like run around. Yeah, I guess maybe that does make sense. Yeah. I never thought about it like that way. Like I'm responsible, but I also like to have a lot of fun. Yes. So, cause yeah. what is life? Life's for living. So oh yeah. Like the Dolly Parton song. You better get to living. That's that's what I'm going to listen to this afternoon. So women entrepreneurship, you told me a little bit before we started recording today, you're thinking about having like a foundation. Are you in the process? Have you launched it or in the where's process, that not launched? No mission statement is decided. So um, I don't want to say too much too soon, but yep. it is absolutely something that I feel called to be in. It feels something that, that is so natural. Um, I feel like I've just been doing it without a foundation for years. And so I might as well go create an actual structure so that I can do this on a bigger scale. Yeah. So I, I think that's going to be my my big project for 2024. And I'm starting to like talk to lawyers about it and get everything set up. But that's going to be my big project for 2024 on my, my year without Zook, my first year without Zook. Oh yeah. So let's, uh, I can't believe how long we've been chatting already. So let's talk a little bit about Zook and then we, I think we actually have to land the plane. Okay. So yeah. Uh, And then we might have to just do a part two. I didn't, uh, we like, we get excited. (laughs) Between you and I, our energies just match too well. And we're like, yeah. Yeah. We're on both. We're both in our power hours right now. Now, yes. like, I guess it's twelve to four. You're right. And, and for me, I'm in that ten to two block. So I think that's also part of it. Magic. So tell us about your journey of Zook that you recently sold. Yeah. So Zook was a virtual reality platform for the real estate and aerospace industry. We started out in real estate. Obviously, me being have like having this background in commercial real estate. I just knew so much about it. I knew so many connections and I was able to take that to market faster. So I went real estate first and then I've always been interested in space. So I got involved in the Mars Society, which is a whole group focused on um, humans becoming a multiplanetary species. Mm. And so I got involved, like I said, eccentric. Um, I will totally own that. Got involved in the Mars Society saw some of their, you know, technology institutes and some of their desert research facilities. And I was like, I am in. What can we do? How can we partner? How can we work together? So we used virtual reality to plan habitats in the same way that you do for commercial real estate. We planned real estate for Mars. And we're able to test all kinds of different theories about which habitats will actually stay in the Mars winds, what will survive the Mars winters, and what have you, which was very, like, it was the most fun project I've ever been a part of just because it's so out there. And yeah, and I got to meet so many amazing engineers and just people that are really, in my mind, people that are really just building the future. Wow. Yeah. For me, I've never thought anything was impossible. And I've read I, I was a big, big, big reader when I was like younger. Me too. I think my parents didn't have cable TV for us and didn't really like, like, so I just consumed books. And so, yeah, I, I think there could be potentially in our, I know in our lifetime that's there's going to be a person on Mars. Like I'm yeah. young enough that there will be. And certainly in my children's lifetime in my, my son actually wants to be an astronaut. Like Love it. he is super He's super into it. So, and knows all his planets and dwarf planets and <laughs> stars and like all these different things. And so I think that's really amazing. Like, were you into like math and science a lot? Oh. Like as, 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 as a child? I, yeah, I was a nerd. I was, <laughs> I was the novice debate champion. Like literally I was on high school debate team, student class vice president and yeah, I was a total nerd. I was in every AP class that they would let me take. I loved, 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 loved school. And I loved math. Math made a lot of sense to me other than geometry. That one didn't click for me. The shapes mm. just didn't make sense to me. But numbers made a lot of sense to me. And science, there's something about space that just makes me, it's like a, hum, it's the humbling, I think. It makes me feel so small 
that it's like nothing matters. Like just write it into the abyss, you know? There's some there's something about it where it's like, well, we're all gonna die and just become like this black matter and the abyss. And I'd rather just like ride this thing as hard as I can and use this body in so many different ways I can. Hmm. Were you in chess club too? No, I've never done chess club, actually. What? Yeah. What? Like, I know. Yeah, like uh just totally. When I was in second grade, we had this was when was it wasn't it Fisher or something? There was the guy in like the 1990s that was huge. So it might be before I'm I'm almost 40. Actually, I'm 39. But this was like back in the 90s. There was a whole chess craze. And then again in middle school, I was in like chess club. But I think chess is interesting because you're always trying to kind of look a few plays like ahead and it requires yeah. a lot of like strat. One thing I want to eventually learn. Have you heard of bridge? No. Oh, so it is something women used to play like all the time back oh. when they were like stay a lot where we're stay at home. And it involves a lot of strategy. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett play a lot of bridge. Hmm. Mm-hmm. See, I've always I, wanted to do it. I would love to be into things like that. My problem is I am also very active. And so yeah. the idea of having to sit down for more than an hour and not be able to move and have to focus like sitting down is problematic for me. <laughs> it is about that makes sense. Yeah, I think that about an hour is like my limit oh, usually. So yeah, I get pulled into playing Monopoly games with some of my friends' kids, and I'm like, after an hour, Aunt Sydney's got to tap out. We gotta. I need to sub. Yeah, because after an yeah. hour, I I can't keep passing go. Yeah, yeah. It takes <laughs> it takes a lot for me to like stay focused. I'm writing a book right now about my like my journey and like I did did write a lot about like the fact that for me you were talking about school was something you really enjoyed for me school was like an escape oh. and like as I like it was like a good like escape and I'd throw myself like into learning all these things I wasn't always I was never really popular I was always a little like on the periphery of all these different groups people mm-hmm. liked me but a lot of people were like who is this person? You're just a little different. Like I always yep. felt like I was a little bit of an odd duck. Oh, now no. I, I think when you get older, you embrace it. Or I think for you, maybe you just never really worried about it. Oh so, yeah, no, I don't care. I've always, I've always been the black sheep, and I've always been kind of proud that I was. I like my eccentricities, and I like what they do to my brain because I know that I can think in different ways and I see things a little differently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly. There's, there's not a lot of people that can say like that they see th- things that are similar. So when I find someone like that, that has the same kind of energy or like, is like, oh no, I'm like here to create. And these are all the things that I created. I really appreciate the artistry of business mm-hmm. and of, well, their art, like to me, business is an art form. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can like, I see it with a different appreciation, I think, rather than just like, how much money did you make? Like to me, it's like, oh my gosh, look at all these systems you built. Look at all these people that want to be part of your thing. Like to me, that's just so much more impressive. I think I've noticed, I've worked with so well over a hundred businesses now, Yeah, maybe over 200 now, just in my practice. And I found that those that are like creative visionaries and that are organized or at least quasi organized or have someone who's like their zookeeper. Yep. Like they are like by far like the most magic. It's the most magic. Otherwise you're just like one of those operators that you have like one business. You don't ever really want to go beyond that. But like, I find that I gel the most with my clients that are like that, that can see Mm -hmm. like what, I mean, just even I met with a doggy daycare this week and like, she's like, Oh my gosh. And I, found someone that's going to be able to like support me because like after you help me buy this location, like I do eventually want to have multiple of these locations. And I'm like, yes, this is like, this is what I like love. And she never felt like confident that she could execute that plan because she didn't have the right like partner, like beside her. See, that's the other thing. I think it's delusional confidence. Like maybe that's why I'm not like ashamed. I've never been ashamed of like being the odd duck is because I just have delusional confidence that I'm doing it the right way for me. I'm not really yeah. concerned about what the right way is for other people. Cause I know that it's different than me. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they're doing their right way, but like 
yeah, I've just always had this level of delusional confidence. Like I'm correct because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, yeah. And she knew that that's what she wants to do. Yeah. But she had just had commercial partners before in the past that like didn't like had her lease the first space that they found, Got didn't you. do the right due diligence and, and do all these different things. And and she doesn't come from a commercial real estate background. So mm-hmm. then like having someone who then bring that to the table was like, so like appreciative, but well, this has been great. Yes. Uh, do you have any other thoughts you want to share before we wrap this up? Oh my gosh. We're going to do a part two. Cause I don't know. We will have to do a part have, two. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you'll have me longer than this. I know you have a busy schedule. <laughs> I, I can't. I got. I, I'm. I am going out. Oh, I can't even talk about this. But I started with one company was supposed to take some of this flex industrial space out in a city near us, and he brought together two other companies that are so tech heavy Ooh. and like futuristic and stuff. And they're going to have this whole collaboration and take down probably like thirty thousand square feet like together. Beautiful. I'm showing them. I get to go go out to. There's a place called Claremont. That's oh, I know in where that Lake is. County next to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be going up and down the hills out to Claremont. And uh, let me tell you about vacancy rates out in Claremont and West Orange County. They are like almost like 0% when it comes to industrial. So interesting. So we're, we're checking out the space and I've been working on this for like several months. And so hopefully this will all come to, we're finishing up like the fit plan. We already have proposals out, but hopefully yeah. we can put the finishing touches on it. Yeah. One, one company does. I can't, t- I, I won't say too much because they're very yeah. unique and it would immediately give away who they are. Yeah, you don't have to. But like, I can't wait. I, like when it comes to fruition because yeah. it's kind of cool when you, it. yeah. Yes. And the one company that started this whole thing, he already has like four locations for oh, his oh, business. No, and then he brought in these other people and they're all in like the same industry. So they'll have this collaboration kind of together, I hope so. Yeah. So, but yeah, we'll have a part two. Like uh, we will make a note of that and, and then hopefully we can connect. Otherwise I have never been to Austin. I have to fix that. Yes. Yes. If you want to come to Austin, you are always welcome here, but I will probably be in Orlando as well. So we need to figure out like when the power beacons are all getting together. Yeah. We need to, we need, we'll help, we'll help Marissa figure that out. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Well, Thank you to everyone who's listened to this most recent Performance Mindset episode. Be sure to like, subscribe, download, share all the different things. And if you know of any guests that you feel like would be a great guest, send them to to us. And this is Amy Calandrino signing off.